Hello. Hi. Ready? Oh, I'm born ready. Born again. Uh, and welcome to Got the Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of me and my insane wife. <laughs> Which I gotta say is not very much. <laughs> Seems like you should maybe be exploring what's going on with you and your private investigator. <laughs> Talk about never mind. Um, <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Talk about a more like a private's investigator, quite frankly. Okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> like that. Andy likes it. Um, this has got the runs, of course. Of course. We are, of course, continuing our Ed Brubaker miniseries. And, I mean, David, you really assigned us a lot of issues this week. We're covering Daredevil number 100 to 500? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um, a quick... It took me ages to read uh-huh. these. <laughs> As we've already discussed uh, off-air, we will, of course, be uh, renumbering uh, after number 119. <laughs> we will be jumping to episode 500. Not that you listeners see any of that because we don't number the episodes that way but here on the back end uh there's about to be a big uh paradigm shaking event (laughs) it is a it is like a doubly funny bit to a like you just i guess it's now like two years which is weird to think about like it's weird to think about these serialized comics Mm -hmm. from like a time scale perspective because i'm like oh like he's written like 40 issues which is like several years of comics, but then it's like he basically fit like as much as you would into like a season of TV, basically maybe mm-hmm. a couple seasons, but like it's just crazy to think of like how much work gets put into stories that yeah. like yeah, it's like three and a three and a half years of work that we uh, have covered in two episodes here. Yeah, that's it's just crazy to think about. But to to have a one hundred and then twenty issues later be like. Actually, we're having a 500. <laughs> I mean, blame that on whoever decided to renumber with like number 380. <laughs> sure. But then gets it only lasts like 12 issues well, after that, right? Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. I don't think that the original plan was for that to happen, but it certainly sure. did. <laughs> um yeah, I did quickly just cuz I was I was like click to issue 501 and I was like Mm, the famed Andy Diggle run. <laughs> <laughs> the Andy Diggle run is actually kind of famed because, I mean, depending who you ask, it's it's sort of like the one down spot in the last like 20 years of Daredevil, which I feel like <laughs> is, I think that's a little unfair to Diggle and maybe a little too generous to certain other creators. Um, mm. to draw such a heavy contrast between his run and like everything else that has happened since like that volume rebooted. But um, certainly like at the time he, he was following Bendis and Brubaker, both of whom like won Eisner's for their multiple Eisner's for right. their work on Daredevil. And then he kind of flamed out and then Mark Wade followed him and won an Eisner for his work on Daredevil. <laughs> so right. that like really only hurt things further in retrospect to be like, well, see Andy, like anyone can win an Eisner doing Daredevil, <laughs> both the guys before you did it. And then the guy right after you did it. Um, right. But, but no Eisner's for, uh, 
for Daredevil Raiders since then, you know? So anyways, sure. it's it's not my favorite run. I don't think it's a particularly good run. I think that it is maligned a bit excessively because of its unfortunate placement in like Daredevil publishing history. <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, where did we leave off? I mean, it's it is also very you funny. You don't remember that- the cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> well let me start here does the name cranston mean anything to you <laughs> the teacher from empire state university the very same which he seems quite uh, quite resentful of yeah so it's true we left off last time a classic conclusion we learned that <laughs> yeah. larry cranston no superhero or supervillain identifier given at that time is back on the scene milla had just uh, murdered somebody and Daredevil had just jumped headlong into a room full of uh, not Scarecrow gas, but Mr. Fear gas. Right. The famous fear gas from Mr. Fear. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is crazy also that like this little run for this episode, it's like we start with issue 100 and with issue 500, mm-hmm. like two interesting milestones. And, but also like, Again, we sort of talked about the idea that, like, the milestones, this was in X-Men, right? That, like, the milestone issues yeah. aren't necessarily, like, milestone-y. And I feel like they do an interesting thing here. Like, I like the idea. Yeah, um, these these ones are more milestone-y than the ones we saw in X-Men, for sure. Yeah, I mean, 500 more so just, like, they just, like, stick extra stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. And I guess also in terms of, like it being a sort of reset for the canon certainly as well. Yes. Um, but this one does like interesting things within the context of the, the issue where you have multiple artists. So you yes. have. So the, the conceit here is that now that he's been infected, this is, I actually think this is quite kind of a successful sort of landmark issue in terms of like, doing the thing that they always kind of try to do with landmark issues and then also like kind of tying it into the overarching story that is going on at the time. But so his like fear gas is basically causing him to go and relive like moments of trauma from his history. And what they have done is recruit like the artists who are associated with those eras of his like publication history. And when he's like hallucinating about being back in that time, those artists like take on um, the art duties for that part. And then also Marco Djurjevic um, and Lieber Mayho, who are more so like they were the cover artists working on the book around this time. So they get some, uh, some interior shine as well. But the others, in addition to, you know, the regular art team uh, with Michael Lark and Stefano Gaudiano, are John Romita Sr., who we mentioned briefly last week, um, was like a 60s guy. Gene Colan, who was on the book in sort of the late 70s, early 80s. Bill Sienkiewicz, who I don't think he ever actually did like the main Daredevil title, but he did a few Elektra uh, graphic novels with Frank Miller. And then Alex Maleev, who is of course coming fresh off his, uh, his run, the previous regular artist before Michael Lark. Yeah, I mean, I think this is cool. I feel like, because it's like, this is like, what, five years after Batman Begins? Uh, Yeah, yeah, about, roughly. I do feel like 
it's maybe a little played out at this point yeah, to have what, like, uh, the what? issue or like the, <laughs> the like sequence where the guy gets fear gassed and has to think about his life. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I was I was more so sort of like, has Arkham Asylum come out yet? Sure. <laughs> That's kind of the one where I'm like, the use of the fear gas in that as kind of like a hallucinatory agent to sort of like mind the psyche of the character. I feel like that's kind of the big watershed moment for the fear gas in terms of that. And that comes out in 2009. So, so actually like they a- ripped off Ed Brubaker is what I'm going to go with. <laughs> right. They probably weren't working on the, no, <laughs> the game. Definitely the not. <laughs> Takes what, like probably three months to put a game together. Yeah. At any rate, so yes, this, you know, I think it is really hard just to do, like, a fear thing. I mean, we've already talked about the parallels between Daredevil and Batman, and so I think it's hard to, like, do that and not invite those comparisons. Um, And this issue, I feel like, is, like, I don't know, it's kind of whatever to me. Um, This kicks off the, (laughs) the, like, new arc quote unquote which is basically just like the second part mm-hmm. of this long running Mr. Fear arc which I do think is a cool arc so yeah basically it's like his wife is in jail and then like Mr. Fear his idea is uh <laughs> <laughs> are you summarizing what what his overall plan is like for the the whole arc or for this issue particularly for the arc so his he doesn't really have a plan his main thing is just i i actually so in terms of like i think it's the same with issue 100 individually for me as it is with the arc itself in terms of like the sort of moment to moment um experience of it i'm kind of like this is fine to pretty good um but then when I kind of like lean back and I'm like, oh, big picture, this is like an interesting, cool thing to do with Daredevil. Um, but so Mr. Fear's whole thing is kind of that like he doesn't really have a plan other than to like ruin Matt Murdock's life and like have him be like, my life is ruined because I was Daredevil and no other reason and sort of like delve the consequences of exposing his secret identity in a more kind of like you know, the the sort of like grim and gritty realism that superhero comics have always kind of angled towards to be like, just because you like had your charges dropped by the FBI doesn't mean that all of your villains are now convinced that you're not actually Daredevil. And like everyone still knows you're Daredevil. So eventually, obviously, a supervillain is going to come along and like ruin your life for being Daredevil. Right. And I think the ultimate conclusion of this arc is a really cool idea that it's like, you know, Obviously, there's the whole idea of, like, the subtitle of Daredevil being the man without fear. Mm-hmm. And then I saw something about when I was looking at, like, the reboot, uh, the Wade reboot. I saw that it's, like, the famous Daredevil grinning in the face of danger. And I was like, I never really <laughs> got that from these issues no, that, that we read. that's a very much a, like, a response to the the Diggle run, which is, like further building on you know it's (laughs) it the whole idea is like oh frank miller like brought like the batman darkness to daredevil even though his daredevil run is has like quite a few moments of levity i would say and is not as dark as this run for example sure and then you've got like kevin smith 
fairly dark run that ends with Karen Page being killed. Bendis, like pretty dark run that ends with Daredevil like being exposed and sent to jail. Brubaker, pretty dark run that ends with like his life in shambles, him becoming the leader of the hand, spoilers, and his wife like committed to an insane asylum pretty dark and then diggle's run is like and now he is the leader of the hand and he murders bullseye and he literally turns into a demon and people are like <laughs> this is pretty dour <laughs> and kind of a lot sure. for us and so then wade comes on and is like remember the 60s when daredevil smiled it's, it's gonna right. be that uh and then right. you know there, he's got lots of stuff in his run about uh how basically matt murdoch is depressed and this like forced you know, kind of swashbuckler attitude that he's putting on is just another way for him to try and like bury his guilt and sadness as a result of how terrible his life generally is. <laughs> sure. But, uh, but yeah, the pitch was sort of like a, like enough of this, like dark, you know, eighties superhero daredevil. Let's go back to right. sort of like the silver age vision of this, like swashbuckler hero who, was called daredevil because of his like devil may care attitude and you know his like right. charm and a joie de vivre sure yeah and you know i feel like that's also probably maybe like a trend that was becoming kind of prevalent in comics at that time and in media at that time i feel like but yeah i what i what i do like about the conclusion of this story is like i think it's a cool idea to be like he Larry Cranston <laughs> is like the real man without fear. And like, that's like, like you see how it's like actually dangerous to be a man without fear. <laughs> yeah. It's actually beeped to be a man without fear. And like, it make like, he is so much more powerful than Daredevil in like a weird way. Like he like really wins this arc. Basically. Yeah, he's like, because a, like he has no to fear. lose type. Yeah. Because he has no fear. And like, own, and like doesn't have any baggage is also like the kind of like implied thing of that because so much of this run is just about like I mean I imagine that's true of most runs but like so much of it is like there's so much like messing with me that I can't just be daredevil but it's like you know and I feel like that's like a very common superhero thing but especially this run where it's like you are constantly having to worry about and also just like feel guilty about things that are like ongoing in your life mm -hmm. it is uh it it like the focus on the whole like man without fear logo certainly always makes me think of the miller run or the slogan i guess did i say the logo i don't remember i'm trying to find it but the he slogan. has like a part in born again where kingpin basically like kingpin does the same not the same thing but he destroys his life and then is he basically says like i can't remember if he says that a man without fear is a man without hope or that a man without hope is a man without fear but either way kind of like links the two ideas of like you're not the man without fear you have all this stuff you're afraid to lose and so like i'm going to like show you what it really means to be a man without fear by like doing everything you're afraid of right yeah, and, I, you know, I think that, like I said, like, this, that is such a big part of this run, the idea that, like, he has these things that he's tied to, he has these, like, you know, whether you want to perceive them as, like, obstacles or ties or whatever, and then, you know, that culminates with 
this hand arc at the end that ultimately becomes about the idea of like cutting off all of like your connections with other people. Right. So yeah, this arc is like, it's okay. It is like, there's a subplot involving the hood. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to uh, Ott's Marvel comics in which there is always a subplot (laughs) involving the hood in like every single title, pretty much. Sure. Um, I don't know what the Hood's deal is. Didn't really see much of it. No, you didn't. The Hood's deal, I think he's a Bendis creation from Avengers. I haven't read a ton of stuff with him in it. Created, of course, by Brian Brian K. K. Vaughn. I did know that. But his thing is basically that he's just like a kind of like street tough who finds like a magic cape. Um, that sure. gives him superpowers. And then he's Whoa. like, well, I guess now I'm a crime boss, even though, you know, I'm I'm a normal guy, basically, other sure. than my magic cape. Did you know that the one other announced casting Oh, I Ironheart, know about this, yes. <laughs> other than Dominique Thorne as Ironheart is Anthony Ramos as The Hood. I do it's know about good. this, yes. Pretty is good. It, I never really got what his like whole the sort hood of or like Anthony Ramos. The hood. <laughs> I I feel like he is sort of like a joke where he has like all of this like sort of Doctor Strange adjacent like power and paraphernalia and seems like he should be like a very sort of like sage threatening person. But then it's like when you cross him, he pulls out his gun and like, you know, talks like he's like from these streets. Right. So, yeah, I guess like, yeah, that's the sort of like, he's like a, a mashup of this, like sort of more mystical side. And also, but then it's like, he's a street tough. He was, yeah. And he was just in a lot of stuff around this time large wikipedia article there was there was like a whole like you know a a classic riffing on that like mean girls thing around this time where people were basically just saying stop trying to make the hood happen it's not happening because he's in so much stuff he plays like a fairly big part in a bunch of like the bendis led events around this time which i'm sure if you scroll his wikipedia there's probably like whole sections for uh definitely siege and i want to say dark rain probably as well oh yeah Um, a huge siege section a huge dark rain section you know heroic age kingpin war okay i'm not familiar with kingpin war but (laughs) that's a (laughs) such a good comics crossover that would that would be a good there should be an episode where we just pitch comics crossover titles but the the thing that's like funny about him though is again i have like not really read most of the things that i think he's most sort of like front and center in but it feels to me like he's never like the main guy he's just always in like he's in the room every single time or he's like in the big fight it's like oh there's the hood like flying overhead shooting his guns (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but he's it's never like the hood is planning this or like and now like scene skip we see the hood and his like faithful servants planning their next move it's always like right norman osborne has convened like a meeting of like 12 people and one of them is the hood and yeah someone and says he's something like, about silence how, the hood yeah basically someone says something about how the hood is like a nobody but he's still there and he always will be right i sorry i'm just i've reached uh a wikipedia article that goes by the name of publication history of marvel comics crossover events oh yeah okay <laughs> just reading some some good names uh celestial quest are you familiar sure. with that one not really but i can guess uh it looks like there's something ha- that happened this year called reckoning war that i have heard of I remember there was an event, maybe it was not really an event, but there was something happening in Avengers at one point where there was like a counter team formed called the Revengers. Oh, uh-huh. That, that's that's all <laughs> that's I got. It? Yeah. You know, Fall of the Hulks. <laughs> Doom War, all one word. Doom War is uh, a... Uh, like a very popular event on like, trial of Jean Grey. <laughs> that one uh, I'm also familiar with. Um, Do more is a popular event on like comics message boards because there's like one panel where the Panther God who gives Black Panther his powers basically it does like a doom apologism where she's like basically like the only universe where there's like true peace that has been achieved is the one where Doom is like the God Emperor of sure. everything. And so sure. he's like, well, obviously, in that case, I should be the god emperor of everything. And then Black Panther's right. like, no, you shouldn't. And then they fight a Doom War over it. <laughs> Classic Doom War moment. Uh, <laughs> okay, last one for now, but we will come back to this for sure. No doubt. Operation Zero Tolerance. Yeah, that's an X-Men classic. <laughs> Guess what they're not very tolerant of? <laughs> you'll never guess what the government wants to do this time <laughs> wait i'm seeing here that the x-men are on the verge of extinction <laughs> what that doesn't sound like them wow you're going for that one over time quake huh <laughs> i'm just scrolling around <laughs> phalanx covenant also a classic x-men event phoenix yeah. end song I mean, like, we have already covered Deadly Genesis and Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire and Messiah Compel X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so the hood is in, not actually not many of those, because a lot of those are like 80s and 90s events, but he's certainly in <sighs> Dark Rain, which this kind of overlaps with, and Secret Invasion, which this kind of overlaps with, and I'm sure he probably was in Shadowland, which this leads into... And I just don't really remember, but um, but yeah, the hood, he's he's all over the place. Oh, wait, what? I think the joke is that like he is a hood, you know? Right. And so it's like right. the hood. But he's got the hood. But he's also got his like magic hood. That's funny. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean a lot of like again, we got like a another one panel like crazy what's happening with the superhero registration act huh? <laughs> yes. that's like our one lip service paid but then this like seems to lead into multiple different daredevil storylines mostly just the one but uh but yes 
Well, so it, this one this leads also directly into Dark Rain. Well, that's, that's not that's shot. not a Daredevil event. That's like a. I hesitate to really even call that an event. It was more sort of like a line wide, like theme, so to speak, where right. like New Avengers changed to dark avengers for a while and the whole thing was like norman osborne right. is the director of shield except it's not shield anymore it's now called hammer and he's the iron patriot and he's like assembled a bunch of super villains to be the avengers but they're avengers, all in disguise right. as superheroes um right. so it's like it's not really an event so much as it's part of like the the whole overarching like avengers storyline for what bendis was doing at the time but again because he has like turned avengers into the book that's like the main story of the marvel universe all of that stuff tends to get like reflected in a book like daredevil where it will then be like can't believe that norman osborne is the director of like our national security agency right and this was like this went on for like what four years or whatever <laughs> uh it definitely went for a while i don't think like dark rain specifically lasted that long but right. definitely like probably close to two years of dark rain yeah and dark avengers the comic went on for several years I'm yeah saying. it had like 18 or 20 issues i want to say i believe 32 <laughs> that's a beefy uh that's a beefy run if so so it resumed, it was March 2009 to June 2010, and then resumed in August 2012 to July 2013, which I guess is a new team of Dark Avengers. The anyway, new Dark Avengers? It, that's what the section of Wikipedia says. <laughs> but at any rate, the Hood, uh, so yeah, like, the Hood is just, like, around. I never got a sense of what his plan was. Like, the little thing, like, the summary in the front of the book says that his plan is to consolidate leadership over the city's supervillains. Uh-huh. I don't know if I ever got that sense. That feels like it's probably a like stray plot thread from like a dark rain type. Right. Beat. They just had like he was just like popping up in other places. Being yeah. Like, I'm trying to consolidate the power of <laughs> New York's supervillains. Sure. But yeah, the one thing I do like about this arc, and it sort of, I feel like, continues into the next couple of arcs, is the idea that, like, Hell's Kitchen feels very localized and, like, very much like a neighborhood. And, like, I, I like the idea that, you know, you sort of get to the point where it's like, he is, of course, he's frequenting the same places. And, of course, like, people are always, like, at his house <laughs> because he just, like, his beat is such a, like, a condensed area mm -hmm. yeah i do i do like that the cops start like pulling him aside at the courthouse and being like <laughs> thought you might want to know about this just in case you were interested to know about this right um but uh, but yes this this arc i don't know there's like an interview where he like brubaker himself is kind of down on this arc where he's sort of like I had like a lot of creative energy coming into the book and like doing all the prison stuff and the like globe trotting stuff. And then I brought him back to like, you know, these streets of hell's kitchen um, <laughs> sure. and just sort of like lost momentum. And so there's like a year long Mr. Fear storyline that I'm like 
not really crazy about. And then I decided to start doing this hand stuff and like got really reinvigorated again. So it's that's the crazy thing to think about is that like this took him a year to do. <laughs> like, you know, obviously I don't think it took him like a year to write it. He's writing like eight books at this point. But like that this does represent like a year of his creative output on a book. And like if you stop liking it, <laughs> Then it's like you just have to push through and like wrap this up because you're like six issues yeah, into a twelve issue story. <laughs> you've uh, you've already kind of like put the the wheels in motion, so to speak. And there are there are a lot of balls in the air at this point, and then he like opts into putting more balls in the air. Basically, <laughs> I mean, like I guess more so. It's the next arc that the whole thing with Dakota North starts, right? Yeah, although she has like kind of increasingly. It's it's funny. She becomes because, like a regular character. Yeah. The function of this arc feels like it's ultimately, as I kind of alluded to last episode, what it boils down to is like, I really need to get Mila Donovan out of this book. <laughs> yes. yes. That's the crazy thing, is that like this entire arc is devoted to being like we're gonna get you out it's like no you can't get her out there's literally no possible way darn sorry you i guess just feel sad about that yeah and truly like it occupies the rest of his time on the book to be like i gotta keep this lady in jail (laughs) how can i keep her locked up and talked away i ask you yeah so i do think that if it sometimes feels like kind of, again, like grim or relentlessly dark or what have you. It is like in large part because, yeah, I, I think that a lot of this action is driven by him needing to get her out of the book, but then also being like, well, I mean, if I take her out in this kind of like extreme way, obviously that's going to have like consequences for, right. you know, the only other person in her life, Daredevil, until I remind people about maybe there's other people in her life, her heretofore unseen parents, <laughs> for example. <Sure. laughs> I feel like I just saw a movie that has the same plot as this. Oh, it's of course... <laughs> It's, of course, the Nicholas Sparks adaptation, The Vow, Mm. where a big plot... Do you know the story of The Vow? (sighs) Is that the one where there's a ghost? No, I believe... And spoilers, of course, plug yours if you don't want to... Safe Haven. Yes, that's correct. Which I don't believe is a Nicholas Sparks. No, it has to be. Okay, you you talk about The Vow, and I'm going to look into that. It is a Nicholas Sparks adaptation, I apologize. (laughs) Uh, but The Vow, it's uh, Channing Tatum and Rachel McAdams. You should see the outfits Channing Tatum wears in this film. A lot of Henleys, I'm guessing? Um, some Henley, but like also like plaid oh, shirt. He's got a Henley on, on the poster. <laughs> he does have a Henley on. Wait, <laughs> let me see if I can find you a good picture of some of the outfits he wears. But the, the storyline is... Rachel McAdams is his wonderful wife. They like have such an amazing he marriage. Makes some kind of vow of marriage. Okay. But then she gets in a car accident, I believe. She gets like hit by a truck. Died in car accident. Yes, go on. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> 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 
<laughs> That's, of course, from the Return of the King uh, extended edition Easter egg in which <laughs> sure, Dominic Monaghan conducts a fake interview with uh, Elijah Wood <laughs> as a German journalist. <laughs> oh, that's such a small hat. <laughs> I was expecting more of a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, I can only describe it as Jason Mraz core, the outfit that Shelley Tatum was wearing in this picture I sent you. Um, but the plot of the vow is that she gets amnesia and she can't remember their vow and their like wonderful marriage they had. And so it's like, and then it's like and her she parents wrote come about to the it picture. In this notebook. No. Oh. I think there is, no, it ends with, it's similar to the notebook, it does, there is like a pivotal scene where she reads her vows. But yeah, it's like the, it's whole, it's like him fighting with the parents because they're like, she should come back with us because she like left this, her like privileged upbringing to like take a chance on Channing Tatum. And they're mm-hmm. like, we can get our daughter back and she can get back with like her high school boyfriend. And Channing Tatum's like, no, she's married to me. And, you know, they fall in love again. Don't worry about it. I see here at Cafe Mnemonic. Sure. (laughs) I forgot. Didn't have any of that. But that is a similar similar thing as what I took five minutes to say. Except uh, that Brubaker seems very determined to not uh, have him fall back in love with Mila. Sure. So, yeah, she's she's basically written out. Oh, yeah. And so, see... This is an example, I think, of the kinds of things where people are like, maybe Daredevil's getting too dark, i.e. the scene where Daredevil torches, <laughs> tortures Ox with a blowtorch. <laughs> a lot of enforcers in this arc. A lot of enforcers. See, okay, this is, this is a very interesting like mental gymnastics thing that he does, which is to say he shows Ox the blowtorch and is like, I'm going to torture you with this blowtorch, but then he doesn't torture him with the blowtorch. Instead, he leaves it on so he can hear the flame and then punches his like nerves so that he feels like it's being burned or worse. <laughs> and then it's like, but I didn't torture him with a blowtorch. And I'm like, what's the functional difference <laughs> between... <laughs> actually torturing him with a blowtorch and making him feel as bad or worse than being burned and allowing him to believe <laughs> that he's being tortured with a blowtorch. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, and it's like, you know, so much of of like pretty much this entire 20 issues is just like Daredevil's at the end of his rope, like he's doing like more violent things than he would usually do. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that sort of like becomes the overarching idea of it. It's just like Daredevil, like the book also recognizes that it's like Daredevil's gotten too brutal. Like this is scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also like doesn't really know how to get out of it necessarily. Um, the one other Mila thing I was going to mention is like when he goes to visit her, they're like, you can't visit her anymore. <laughs> you must go away and not. I, a medical professional, <laughs> order you to not come and see her for at least five issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's there's so some funny. legwork being done for sure. It's so funny how hard it's like. <laughs> because he's been driving up three times a week and he's like, I can't show this every time. Yeah. Or like, well, I mean, if she's in the hospital, he'd just go see her, right? Huh. 
Okay, okay. Panel one. Doctor, <laughs> colon. <laughs> doctor, um, wearing a white coat. <laughs> but, but yeah. So I think that that is kind of the the trap that he, like, nimbly gets out of and instead, like, passes over to Andy Diggle is that, like, by the time we get to the end of these issues, it feels like Daredevil has been at the end of his rope for, like, eight years. <laughs> So it's right. like, how how much more rope does he have? Because it seems like he's been allegedly at the end of his rope and getting like increasingly bad or whatever for a long, long time with like no ever moments where it seems like it's even like conceivable that his life could ever be like good again. And then and then like Andy Diggle inherits that and is like, I read this interview with him where he was like, I read this interview with Frank Miller where he said, like, it's crazy that or or why with all of like the bad things that have happened to Murdoch, Matt Murdoch, why isn't he a bad guy? And I thought I would answer that. And I was like, but your arc is about like how he is corrupted by the hand and <laughs> kills Bullseye and like turns on all his friends, <laughs> which I think is the point at which people are just like, why are we still like? acting like this is a good guy <laughs> he's like clearly just a super villain now what happened to daredevil who smiles and laughs and uh steals the woman's heart you know right well actually we'll get to this when we talk about uh the later arcs uh, do you do you have anything to say about well do you have anything more to say about uh this first set of issues first of all so yeah basically it just ends with like the what's his name mr fear goes to jail mm-hmm. as he always but planned to apparently i guess so i like his his whole thing is like ozymandias i already did it like yeah so so his he he reveals that like he was the reason for lily luca's whole like perfume thing that was like his doing Another person where it's like, she's disappeared we can't find her in the pages of this book <laughs> she um was like used by him to like push Mila over the edge, basically. Right. Um, and Which then, like we kind of already knew. Yeah, and then Daredevil is able to find him in part because he like murders his chemist friend who helped him like beef up his fear gas. But when he finally finds him and is like, "Where's the antidote to make Mila like bring bring Mila back?" He's like, "There isn't one. I like killed my chemist guy before he could make one." <laughs> so right you know which good good luck with that which i will say seems a little implausible that like he was the only person that daredevil has a connection to yeah who could possibly find an <laughs> antidote for this formula that's ruining his wife's life it is it is tough to believe that like he couldn't get bruce banner on the line and be like listen i know you have like 25 phds do you think you could like spare a few minutes for this uh, chemical formulation that was derived by a night school teacher from empire state university <laughs> right it does it does seem like a solvable problem but i did i do like the reveal of like like, but that's why I killed that guy. <laughs> like, I don't know how yeah, to make yeah. it go away. Um, I very much like the scene where he's like getting interrogated and uh, officer or detective Kurtz is like, why did you do all this just to get at Matt Murdock? And he's just like, what can I say? I just don't like the guy. <laughs> so it's like, I guess that is basically what it boils down to. 
<laughs> it's fundamentally true, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and, and I do like, I like the ideas that they're sort of playing with here. I mean, like, it's a little bit cheating, but just, like, that his powers sort of extend beyond just making people afraid. And it's just, like, basically he can, like, manipulate emotions as, like, mm-hmm. his new power. Yeah, that that again. This is sort of the like badassification of every power and character, sure, yeah. um, or or I guess like power creep also is part of it. But to expand yeah. it to be like fear is like a root emotion, and you can use it to elicit like many other emotions that might not be experienced as fear, because instead it's like I'm afraid of disappointing him, <laughs> or like <laughs> right. what what have you. I think about this arc all the time, mostly because of how it ends which is like mr fear being like i'm the king of the prison all of the prisoners are mine the guards like present themselves to me on my bed in my cell i can literally leave whenever i want uh at like he is his final like inner monologue is someday when i tire of this life in here they're going to walk me right through the the doors of this prison and back into your world sinister like push in on his evil eyes like never seen again (laughs) all the time i'm like whoa i wonder like i remember reading this at the time and being like i wonder what brew baker is gonna do with mr fear next (laughs) it's like it is nothing (laughs) it is a good bit um especially like because it's like he has this sort of the power of influence is such like it's such it makes so much sense for Daredevil specifically because it's like so many characters pretty much every villain he faces like one of their primary powers is like the people that they have at their command Mm -hmm. or like their ability to like get other people to do things for them whether it's like through blackmail or through threats or whatever um, and so it is, it's a fun idea to be like, this guy can influence anyone to do anything. So like, you never know when you're safe, but yes, like he's, but he, he, he has, has been safe for some time. I was looking at his Wikipedia article and I saw that he becomes a member of the Thunderbolts during Dark Reign. Probably, I'm him. sure. Invited to join the Masters of Evil. Sure. It is, it made me laugh that he gets the cell that the guy that gets killed in the prison got mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah the like the cell where it's like a curtain <laughs> and right. it's a tv <laughs> yeah i believe hammerhead was the previous uh sure and then we get like basically a one like <laughs> the like down issue is like or like the like x-men playing baseball issue is just like a whole issue about how sad matt murdoch is <laughs> yes that is certainly true I liked this issue like fairly well. I like when Foggy fires him. Sure. I mean, like it is to me just so much like it, it starts to get a little like oppressive and a little one note after a while that like it basically every issue and every arc is like Matt's been driven to do something scary <laughs> because he's so sad and like I'm scared for Matt because of how sad he is. And then this like whole issue is that. I think it's fine, but, like, I didn't really need them to, like, really hammer home that Matt Murdock was having some bad times. Yeah, I more so like the sort of zoom out to be like, let's see what, uh, like, Ben Urich and Dakota North think about this. Sure. It's fun. uh, Which is fun stuff, to be sure. Then we move into Cruel and Unusual, 
uh, an arc with some great covers. I believe, is this the one where he's got uh, the one where he's holding up the scales of justice and then he's got like an MP5 in his other hand? <laughs> I didn't pay it's much attention cover. to the covers, I will say. Well, Although I did. In spite of your classic segment, just what is going on here? <laughs> I'll tell you what's going on in that one. He's got the scales of justice and a submachine gun. It's a great look for it, him. It was funny because I was... I went to the Wikipedia article for the Enforcers because I recognized them from, like, I read, like, the first, like, you know, 50 Spider-Man issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they show up a few times. Don't seem as much of, of Montana's lassoing ability. No, and Fancy Dan seems more interested in guns than karate these days. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they all got a bit of a reboot other than Ox sure. uh, at some point where, you know, much like you playing D&D, Fancy Dan was eventually like, why would I hit them with some sort of physical implement when I could shoot them with my gun? I shoot them with my gun, my classic uh, statement of intent. You, Fancy Dan Um, in the hood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the type uh, of movie. We get a special guest actually, I think, joining for that in-betweeny issue as well. But Greg Rucka is in the house uh, for this arc. Let me finish my... uh, my little thing, which was that Please. I was reading issue 102, which has the enforcers on the cover. And then I was like, what's the deal with the enforcers? Like, I know them from Spider-Man. But what's the deal with them? And the picture was that cover. Mm-hmm. And then later I was like, what's the deal with Dakota North? Why was she? A, why does she have like modeling pictures? Oh, why yeah, was she you, and you got to learn about the Dakota North uh, series. Yeah, and I and I looked up Dakota North, and it was her picture from whichever issue, like issue one hundred eight, where it's like her like in the crosshairs, <laughs> and that's like her Wikipedia picture as well. And I was like, I was just reading this set of issues and wanted to make some Wikipedia photos. Well, so yeah, Dakota North is from a like mini series, and I mean a mini series, like five <laughs> issues that Marvel ran in the eighties. And the whole thing is like, she's a fashion model, but now she's a private investigator and is exactly the kind of character who Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucker, for that matter, are like, remember her? I'm going to make her like a major supporting character in my other thing because like she's a PI. That's cool. She's a model. Matt Murdock like somehow always ends up with extremely beautiful women. And it's like a running joke because he's blind Sure. But like, yeah, like it's funny that Greg Rucka is coming on here because he does like the exact same thing with like when he did Checkmate. There's like a million characters in that who are like, remember this character who appeared in three issues of a war comic from the 40s? (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) They're like a big deal in this comic. And that's such a thing at this point, like around, I feel like like 2010 era is when we start to get like, because isn't that a Bendis thing as well? Uh, I wouldn't Less say so. that Bendis is as much of like a continuity hound as some of the other guys. In fact, I think you have like Morrison. Morrison for sure. Wade is Hickman. also like Wade is one of the big time guys who has like an encyclopedic memory of like every character who's appeared in a comic since like 1972 and like loves to pull those those people out. So like Kingdom Come is like a total just sure. like, you know, he's he's splurging on that kind of thing in that. And for that matter, like Kurt Busick is also sort of like that 
where it's you know it's all these guys who started off like writing into letters columns to like win no prizes sure. by like explaining continuity errors and then became like professional writers and are like now it doesn't have to be a no prize i'll just write a story explaining that continuity yeah. error My prize is all the money <laughs> yeah <laughs> So yeah, what's the story with Greg Rucka coming on to the book here? Yeah, not not sure. Couldn't find any information about uh, why that happened. I'm not even sure like the extent to which like is he a plotter? Is he scripting? I can't say that I like particularly made note. I get like I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Rucka had been like, or if if Brubaker had been talking to him and was sort of like. I want to get like the the whole like lawyer aspect of the book kind of like back on the front page, so to speak. And like, I'd love to like have him like take on a case, but I just like can't really think of something that's a good like hook or whatever. And if he then was like, you know, hashing it out with him and then uh, yeah, Brew Baker was just like, why don't you just like co-write this arc with me? And like, you know, get to get paid for all of these uh, ideas like that sort of tracks to me as something that might make sense for how it could come to be but yeah i couldn't find anything really about like how or why or what he wrote or what his like involvement was sure yeah i mean like this is an interesting arc it kind of like it turns into like very much like a conspiracy thriller Mm -hmm. which is interesting like it sort of gets back to some of the stuff that is featured a lot in the sort of earlier issues of that we talked about last episode, because, you know, I think it has been such a book about like, like not like, I don't mean soap opera (laughs) derogatorily necessarily, but like it has become so much about like Matt Murdoch's personal life and like Mm -hmm. the way that his personal life is interfering. And like, we see multiple times over the course of this book that it's like, you haven't been being a lawyer in weeks <laughs> <laughs> like you're fired <laughs> right and that is you well. do not do a job yeah i do i do like this arc pretty i like pretty much everything about this arc pretty well yeah it also is like weirdly kind of reminiscent of the like cut subplot from the daredevil movie right in this which sort of the director's cut famously. yeah i can't remember who plays like the the ben donovan type but right, um, but he is like defending an innocent man but who like won't admit it i feel like is also part of it right uh you keep talking i'll find this for you oh i was gonna go and uh have a look-see here though <laughs> i sure. just really i mostly want to remind myself who plays uh this guy there is is it is it coolio r.i.p yeah it is coolio okay it definitely is coolio right who only appears r.i.p um only appears in the director's cut <laughs> what a crazy movie we should just we should throw that in don't, as a palate cleanser don't tempt that's me. a crazy movie go if you really want to talk about or hear about the daredevil movie just go listen to the how did this get made episode on daredevil which Ed Brubaker is the guest on and like i feel like that's a better uh better treatment than we could give it sure it's really funny that jennifer garner was electra um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean like this is just like 
it's pretty self-contained, but also, you know, it's, it's still dealing with the fallout of Matt losing his wife. And so mm-hmm. that's the whole thing as well. And it is like a kind of a palate cleanser. And like at the end, Dakota North's father, who's like a CIA guy and has been antagonistic throughout this arc, basically is like, good for you to get a win. Seems like you could really use one. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, couldn't we all uh, at this point? Like it is a pretty refreshing to just see him like take on like a legal case and win it. <laughs> right. Yeah. The whole thing of like he anything and it's again like this is sort of the a problem you sort of run into with superhero comics in my mind is that like no it like I think I said this last episode, like it always has to be a Pyrrhic victory. Like mm-hmm. The win always has to come at a cost. Like he always has to lose something, or like, and or if the storyline ends with him in like a happy status quo, then like the last page is like, but then there's someone looming. Like it's like mm-hmm. it is like last page, second last page is like I'm finally happy, and then it's like next page is the yeah. same <laughs> shot, but someone is looking at you through yeah. binoculars like, or through a, the scope of a like gun. Matt, Matt embracing Mila. Mila's dialogue is like we're finally safe and then like that's one half of the panel and then the other half is showing like the guy on the other side of the door who's like holding up a gun and like scowling in shadow and then it's like next issue safe and happy (laughs) or like the dangerous guy strikes yes um yeah and I do think that it's like somewhat telling that the Dakota North parts of this storyline are a fair bit more engaging to me than um, the other stuff. And which is very much like in the wheelhouse and the interest of both of these writers or I guess, you know, Rekka's on it for the whole story, but yeah, like, like the scene where she figures out that like the guy who beat her up for talking to big Ben Donovan is like a federal agent. And then she like tracks him down and like hits him in the face with a baseball bat. (laughs) Um, And there's like no superhero component to any of it. It's literally, it's like a mob story and like crooked feds. And this like PI is (laughs) who, who is like, you know, very competent but very troubled is going to take a baseball bat and uh and like solve problems with her two hard fists (laughs) is like so much what these guys are both about and really especially i'm i'm like not really surprised that rekka comes on as co-writer and dakota north suddenly becomes like a very forward part of the book because she is like exactly the kind of character that he absolutely like loves and is obsessed with and uh, and I like it whenever he does that kind of stuff. So I guess I'm also not surprised that <laughs> adding like Greg Rucka into the formula and setting him loose with Dakota North. I'm like, those parts are really good. Yeah, I guess that this is like when we start to see that character like come into her own, like she's pretty much in every issue from now on mm-hmm. and, and is like almost the co-lead. Yeah, certainly like she like more than any other character becomes like a point of view character. I guess maybe the kingpin is the other one. <laughs> um, but yeah, like she becomes more of a point of view character. She becomes like the voice of reason. Like, I feel like that, like she's kind of occupying a role that Foggy might occupy, but I feel like Foggy has like been made so ineffectual. Yeah. Well, like, he's just so like over it. Sure. 
Yeah, I guess. I, I feel like it's more like he is so, like, helpless that it's like Foggy can't understand. Right. Whereas Dakota North is like, she's in the thick of it. And, like, you know, is just has just as long of a history of, like, beating up goons as Matt Murdock does. Right. And, and has, like, the tough as nails sort of thing where when Matt is like, leave me alone, get out of here, Foggy would be like, oh, Matt, and, like, close the door and be like, oh, whereas she's just like, no. <laughs> You're being annoying. Um, that That is, like, one of the main big things, just, like, she is the person who tells him to stop being annoying frequently in this set of issues. And, you know, it's not like he, like, snaps out of it or anything, but, you know, like, mm-hmm. I feel it like... Is, it is refreshing for him to be like, this happened to her because of me, and have everyone else be like, no, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Especially considering that, you know, we didn't really talk about it, but it is the... Oh, no, it is this arc where she gets shot, right? Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about when you consider that the like guy leading the charge is her father. Well, yeah, but then, you know, he is sort of able to parlay the whole situation into a promotion for right. himself and then is like, and you're going to jail for shooting my daughter. Right. But then, like, isn't the implication, I guess, yeah. But it's like, so he I let think, that happen? No, no, they were like, they were trying to cover up their cover up, like, from him. Um, and then right. once they like shot Dakota, he was like previously kind of, or, or I guess not from him, but just generally we're trying to like cover it up and not doing a very good job, but he was sort of like supporting the, like, we can't let this come to light. But then after they shoot Dakota, he's like, okay, they're now doing a very bad job. And also they shot my daughter. So instead this is now going to be about me, like getting control of this whole like operation. And I will just like, clean up this mess myself basically right yeah the one thing i i didn't love dakota getting shot like a it's just it is very much just like a blam like <laughs> like you're just walking down the street and you get blammed um which i is i well, always find a little bit little frustrating bang. sure but like but then she is just literally walking down the street and gets <laughs> blammed yes that's true um who can deny and, which I do always find frustrating because it does always just feel like you did a shocking thing to do a shocking thing. And I think also, like, given what we see of Dakota and that, like, we are starting to see her as, like, you know, like a good, like, sidekick or, like, person who, who Matt can trust mm-hmm. to see her, like, now, like, lumped into the same pot of, like, you're not a superhero, so you can just get shot and be incapacitated and Matt will have to take care of everything mm-hmm. is a little bit frustrating. Yep. Although I do think again, like when he's like, this is all because of me and I have to take care of her and make it right. That the other characters are like, she's like a private investigator who like would have gotten shot, whether you were involved with this or not, like it has literally nothing to do with you. Right. And you know, uh, Broadly speaking, over the course of these issues, she does do more. It that's I think that's why it was a little bit annoying to ha- give her that moment as well. She's um, not a do more. Sure. Um. Anything else, or should we move on to Lady Bullseye? Yeah, which no, I was let's, not ready for. Let's move on to Lady Bullseye because uh, I've got about an hour 
of content just on Lady Bullseye. <laughs> I feel like I have seen you say the words Lady Bullseye before. <laughs> but I really was not prepared to see the cover of issue 111 and see, like, that's a female bullseye. And then at the top, Lady Bullseye. And I know, like, they mean it like a royal. <laughs> oh, I don't know if they do. <laughs> of course, they. it's like Lady Deathstrike. I guess. Certainly, I think that's the way, like, the hand means it. Yeah, um, I don't, and, I don't and, know. And she, she means self, the character. She self-dubs Lady Bullseye, or, or yeah. like, adopts the name Lady Bullseye for herself. So, the, here's the thing. I feel like she is partially a joke. <laughs> like, I feel like the name <laughs> Lady Bullseye is kind of a joke in the same way that Lady Stiltman is, like... Uh, also a real character lady stiltman is like obviously a joke about characters it's like a ms pac manning yeah exactly (laughs) so like i do feel like there is a bit of like tongue-in-cheek element to that and yet she is such a serious and humorless character who is presented as such a like real and credible threat that i'm like well but that can't be what it is because Right. It's like she is a sexual assault victim who is now a remorseless killer who can who is like the calmest person Daredevil has ever met. Yeah. Like, and can, but also like can trick Daredevil yeah, as well. Master assassin, master of disguise, uh, like mastermind who is like here to make Daredevil's life hell, kill all his friends and like generally be like one of you know the biggest threat in his life for a time right so there's all that and then her, her name design or <laughs> what her design her costume design her whole her whole look Interesting. i cannot tell and i can tell that the artists also do not have like consensus on this about what her costume is supposed to be like her creation is credited to Brubaker, Clay Mann, who pencils this issue, and Marco Jurjevic, who does the cover for this issue. One of the scariest villains of all time. I Clay was man. I could <laughs> I couldn't find hard verification of this, but I am 100 percent sure that she like this character design was by David Aha because it's so it's so him like the use of the negative space on the costume to like create the the bullseye impression is so him the like porcelain whiteness is a thing that he right. also like really enjoys doing a lot so i'm like i think he must have designed it and that would also explain why no one can seem to agree on how the costume is supposed to be drawn because to me it seems like the intent is that the black pieces are a bodysuit Oh, um, and and like white or, or like, you know, kind of like stuck on straps and the white parts that make up like the rings of the bullseyes are supposed to be her skin. Oh, but I never thought that like we look at cover one or like the cover of that issue, mm-hmm. which is like a close up of her or like it's just a it's a character shot of her and the bodysuit is like or the bodysuit portion suit, I'd yeah, say the, like one. the the white and black parts are clearly both part of the suit that doesn't make any sense because that would mean that like 
respectfully, her, her vagina face, is out. Yeah, but so, but then if you go and look in the issue itself, when Lark draws it, it is more of like a one-piece bathing suit kind of cut right, with, with an the extra one, leg. Yeah, except the leg is covered and the arm is covered. Right, I see what you're saying. That part is black in the comic. Yeah, and then people will often, like with the one stripe that goes across her chest, it is often positioned directly over her nipple as if to say like this is the only thing covering her nipple right but other times not but then it's also like okay so if it's all one bodysuit where is like the neck because her face is the exact (laughs) same like chalk porcelain white color as the suit so is she like wearing makeup because we also is, see her in I mean, disguise she's clearly wearing makeup. as a normal person and her skin is not that color I think and then, that, but then like again where where's like where does the suit stop and her skin start if right if and by the, the white same- is part of the suit <laughs> sorry go on <laughs> i like the confusion of it. and by the same token I think that deliberate, I think her face is very much invoking a mask. And I feel like we've seen that like many times, like the sort of like Kabuki mm-hmm. style mask, which I like, I think that that is sort of what it's trying to invoke without being a mask because like, you know, I guess having a mask sort of presents its own problems in terms of depicting a character. But like, like I'm, I'm thinking of like the wrestler Asuka um, sure. has like <laughs> famously wears masks I'll try and find. But yeah, like very much like Kabuki inspired masks, I think is like the idea that she's trying to invoke, which sort of leads me into my other question, which is like, how long and how heavily has Daredevil had these like Asian elements to his character? That is very much a Frank Miller thing who is, uh, in the colloquial language, a weeb. (laughs) Sure. He, yeah, he, so he created the hand. He introduced stick as like daredevil's mentor. He introduced sort of the idea that daredevil's martial arts training is rooted in these like martial arts practices and that daredevil is like in some capacity, a ninja, which is, it was just like also sort of a point of fascination for several Marvel writers sure. and artists around that time. And like, that's why Wolverine is also a ninja for some reason. Right. Uh, that, you know, there's like Akira Yoshida got hired. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few sort of like, what if this character was a ninja characters around out there, but it, yeah. So right. Frank Miller is really the one who introduces that heavily. I would say that Bendis kind of brought it back back in a way that it hadn't really been paid attention to for a while like he had a couple stories that were basically about like him him getting caught up in like ninja stuff basically because of his like loose affiliation with stick and history with the hand and stuff like that right and so frank miller is the one that introduces the hand yes and so wait so what's the deal with stick (laughs) because like i also saw this thing where it's like stick is like the leader of not the foot because the foot is from teenage Mutant ninja turtles Uh (laughs) but like is the anti-hand the hanty yeah so stick 
I mean, I mean, you pretty much got it. Like this arc introduces Master Izo, who is meant to kind of <laughs> the, a real David character. Uh, <laughs> Master Izo. Yeah, I do laugh every time he says Hand Central Station. I always forget about it. And then he says it and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but his like sort of narrative function is supposed to be like again i read this interview with brew baker from right before this arc started and it seemed like he had maybe planned to do more along these lines where he was kind of like oh there's like you know stick and like his white clad like hand not hand ninjas have like the chased yeah apparently like they have their own whole history that's never really been explored and i'm looking forward to kind of like digging into that a little bit more and so I think Master Izo is supposed to, and I guess he does, provide a bit of an origin story for them, which is that he started them as a, like, hand reformation movement, basically. Or, like, he was like, the hand isn't doing what it's supposed to do, so I'm making a new organization that is going to be what the hand was supposed to be. But then, like, he also loses control of them. And so then he just becomes, like a Ronin type uh, figure sure. wandering the wide world, playing pool, playing dice, drinking. I mean, it's sake. Funny that he plays pool. He's stick. Yeah, that is, that is sticks thing. He's like a pool hall hustler who uses his uh, ninja skills to uh, hustle people. Much like uncle Phil. Yes. Much like uncle <laughs> Phil, a noted, a noted pool hustler. Pool shark. Yeah. yeah pool shark. So, I've posted or sent you an image of Lady <laughs> yes, Bullseye that I feel basically like encapsulates the conundrum where it's like, if if the white parts of the outfit are supposed to be her skin and it's using negative space, I think that's a really creative design and also sort of like needlessly titillating. Yeah, stupid but design. <laughs> like, it's... It's like annoying that because it's like kind of clever, but also it's like so stupid for how clever it is. <laughs> but also isn't there um she also looks like um what's his name? The Batman is he a Batman villain? Uh he looks like Onomatopoeia. Or she uh, looks like yeah, Onomatopoeia. Kind of, kind of Just, yeah. I guess the use of the like white and black circles. Uh, yeah. Circles. <laughs> but so th- then does that I can't remember what like her other leg looks like. So does that mean she has leg, like stick-ons on her yes, leg? Yes, and and on her arm because it's it's basically the same. So on her left arm, she has like a dot on her shoulder and then rings sure. going around it. You know, concentric circles giving the impression of a bullseye that end with her like oh. black bodysuit. And then on her leg, she has the same thing, but the dot is on her knee, and so it's like. The, the black of her bodysuit is like the space between these two like bullseyes that are created on opposite sides of her body, which again, like I'm like, <laughs> there's part of me that's like cool design, annoyingly clever. But then when you like see it and are like, so wait, like she applies each of those rings to yeah, her like bare skin. <laughs> then it's like, is or this the stupidest tattoos? costume design I've ever seen? And again, I guess the no one, shoulder could be a tattoo. Yeah. And and then no one seems to agree as to whether or not the white parts are fabric or not. Yeah, I never clocked that. But I think you're right that the way that 
and maybe it's partly the coloring as well because like you know if you just it basically seems like she's like drawn as you know not like a nude figure but like you know what i mean yeah and then it's like and that's the coloring mostly that gives the impression of skin and then well, like yeah you know, the, a lot of the, the confusion is the fact that her face is like the same white right. as the body and so it's like is that her skin or is that fabric if it's fabric why is it the exact same color as her skin where yeah. does the suit end all that stuff <laughs> I don't think it's so crazy that someone would wear a suit that's the same color as their skin. I don't well, it's just that like her face is so like again, porcelain white that it's like it's not a natural skin color. So the fact that right. her face is the same color as the suit in that case is like well, how did she do that? <laughs> and then I, I guess she makeup, makeup is the answer, but <laughs> I, I do. Th- it seems. Think, it seems. I think regardless me, of your feelings about whether it's her skin or not, she's probably wearing some makeup. <laughs> pretty, pretty labor intensive for your like Absolutely. assassin outfit. <laughs> like you're not just throwing that on. She also, but also, like you know, unless she's impersonating a lawyer, she doesn't take it <laughs> off. <sighs> yeah, I suppose <sighs> that's true. Sometimes she wears a long flowing robe over it. So, anyways, that's. <laughs> that's a little bit of what I have to say about Lady Bullseye, a character who I find um, provokes a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you pro or anti Lady Bullseye? Um, I think I am in this arc, at least she's been used like a fair bit since then, I think in part because, again, her design is like quite striking. Right. In this arc, I mostly like her, but I do think she kind of fizzles out in that, like, at the end, there's this sort of tacked on, like, also, I was secretly working for Master Izo, and I thought that I was going to be the one who's, like, made the leader of the hand. Like, that's that's kind of, like, a weird feeling, unnecessary little extra twist at the end that I'm kind of like, this doesn't make me feel like I understand her character better, necessarily, like, I think it would have been enough for her to just be, like, ambitious uh, beyond her station without having it be, like, and she was also working for Master Izo, like, in pursuit of that ambition and right now is, like, in the wind. I guess so. Yeah, the part about her being trained by Izo, I think, is strange and not really necessary because, like, you know, like, I already buy that she would want to take control of the hand mm-hmm. and i also buy that the hand might have just trained her to be <laughs> lady bullseye yeah yeah why wouldn't you <laughs> um, like you know she's with the hand yeah um but yeah like i i do what i like about her is like i like i always like a character where it's like they are very powerful and are but also like are on like they have a fatal flaw which is their own hubris and their mm-hmm. own sort of like wanting to like you said like sort of reach beyond their station and i like that idea in a character and i think that obviously that creates good opportunities for like character growth and things like that and so like i like that central idea and the idea that it's like she has this vendetta against daredevil because it's like he was her target and then it's like now daredevil is the leader of the hand 
uh, which I imagine is frustrating for her. <laughs> <laughs> I got the sense that she resigned her commission uh, <laughs> when yeah. that happened. They've caused like, her to leave the hand. No longer affiliated. Yeah, I would have liked longer for the question of is she also Milla Donovan's lawyer to <laughs> have like been there because I think that that scene like the scene when he the meets scene where her, Matt Murdock racially profiles her <laughs> uh, yeah that scene although he's blind so he literally can't see color he would never comment about whether or not the color of her skin was natural sure um, I I like the You'd like paranoia though, if you know what I mean <sighs> Uh, we'll talk later about some of the dialogue choices made on behalf of Carlos de la Muerto, certainly. Um, <laughs> and, but, and Big Ben Donovan also, are you uh, suggesting? Not even more so Luke Cage. Like, I well, think I feel like this has always been a thing with Luke Cage, yeah. where it's like, Luke Cage is not allowed to say the letter G. All of his words end in apostrophes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that momentarily. I like the paranoia of that scene of him genuinely being like, it could be her, but I have like no reason to believe that it is her. But like, I'm just so wound up and like paranoid right now that I'm like, but it could be her. And therefore I'm going to act like it is her. And I would have like, that's, that's like a fun tension that I might've liked to see play out a little bit longer and maybe get the head fake of it's not her. And then back to like, it is her. (laughs) Uh, Whereas like, we just kind of get that question answered later in the same issue. But I think that's like a fun use of her. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm like four overall. She's not exactly a character per se, but I think that as like an antagonist and like force of malevolence, she's very fun and used well in this arc until the end, at which point I feel like, again, she kind of fizzles out. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because the whole like the Maki Matsumoto, her like cover as a lawyer. Uh-huh. It's interesting in the sense that, like, sort of someone who is, like, she's, like, attacking him on two fronts, I guess, Mm -hmm. is the idea that they're getting at. But then it also does seem sort of out of line with her character that she would be, like, basically, like, wasting her time doing this. (laughs) I mean, considering that she is, like, a killing machine. Why, like, a hand ninja shows up at her house and is like, what are you doing? (laughs) Sure, you're right. Why are you in costume as a lawyer right now? But uh, but yeah, I I like her overall. I don't think she's exactly the deepest character. I don't think she's really been used effectively since her introduction. But for these issues, it's a good time. Right. So I guess we should sort of like summarize these issues because it is like it is another thing where it's like two arcs. Yes. Well, That's hold on. Of- first, first, let's talk about Luke Cage and... <laughs> <laughs> Carlos de la Muerto, a character who says dog a lot and frequently has Matt be like sarcastically say dog back to him, which sure. (laughs) I mean, like, I feel like the wire was really big around this time. (laughs) (laughs) Is is sort of my read on it more so like in the prison arc. I'm kind of like. This feels like it was written by a white guy who thinks The Wire is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, like, a character of color was on the page. <laughs> yeah, and it is it is funny. It is very much like 
Obama. I know it's not Obama era yet, but it is like kind of like Obama era liberalism where it's like, I'm going to like show things as they really are. And then like showing things as they really are. It's just like making your characters of color have (laughs) pronounced accents. (laughs) Yes. The Luke Cage of it all. I, I feel like at the time he's again, sort of picking up more so on something that Bendis did a lot of. And at the time it was quite celebrated because people were like, he's like bringing Luke Cage into the 21st century because right. prior to like his whole thing, which is still joked about all the time was that he would be like, sweet Christmas. Like that was his big catchphrase. And there was like, um, where's my money, honey? Where's my money, honey? Yeah. A lot of like, kind of like jive talk, quote unquote. And, and even to the point that like, I think it was Dwayne McDuffie or Christopher Priest, like, parodied him in some like not brand issue or something like that where he is in like b-list character purgatory and all he says is like sweet christmas nuff said ain't no thing (laughs) those are like the only things that he says um it's kind of like the uh the character from not another teen movie Sure, I have vague recollections of this. So there's like one black character in not another teen movie right. whose whole thing is that like he's like I'm just the black character. My only job is to uh like punctuate. Th- yeah, he's got like three things that he's supposed to say which are uh oh it's damn shit and that's whack and then like he says that and then like an exchange happens in front of him and after every time someone says something he says either damn shit or that's whack um (laughs) yeah it's so i think that luke cage was viewed in a very similar way but with more like relics from the 70s um and so the idea of him like you know sounding like this very modern Right. In some senses, like using current slang and, you know, speaking in a way that people could conceive of a black person today speaking. It was very like, whoa, Luke Cage is like a real character. Sure. But I think it has not aged super well. (laughs) Yeah, it is like very much in the air where it's like, thank you, white guy, for (laughs) bringing this character back into the world. And just, like, never conceiving of the idea that, like, maybe a black creator would have a take on this, perhaps. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, it is what it is, ultimately. Like, comics especially, I feel like, have always sort of ridden... I mean, I guess it's hard to to come to comics defense. But, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, the idea of, like, I think it's an interesting idea... Maybe just cut this whole part out, but um, I, I I think that sort of balance between wanting representation and like sort of like who should be the people creating the representation is an interesting thing to talk about because it's like, do you want white creators to only have white characters in their books? That doesn't feel like a like optimal solution. And like someone was talking about like. Uh, a friend of mine who like works at a day camp, they have like superhero day. And it's like, if a white kid wants to be black Panther, like, should we be happy about that? Because it's like, Oh, like he doesn't even conceive of the idea that it's like, this character is a different race from me. He's just like, I love this character and I want to be him. Or should it be like, well, (laughs) maybe a white kid shouldn't be black Panther. And I just think that that's 
just like an interesting sort of dichotomy that we're still sort of trying to reckon with. So I've shared with you a pitch written by Dwayne McDuffie, one of the very uh, few black creators at Marvel uh, in the like 80s, 90s, 2000s and DC as well. But he wrote a pitch for Marvel uh, (laughs) titled Teenage Negro Ninja Thrashers, because as he puts it in the past year, 25% of all African-American superheroes appearing in the Marvel Universe possessed skateboard based powers. (laughs) I mean, it is a bit of a static shock thing, right? And so he has proposed... A collection of characters, Rocket Racer, a black guy on a skateboard, Night Thrasher, a black guy on a skateboard, Dark Wheelie, a black guy on a skateboard, and their leader, the mysterious black guy on a skateboard, known only as that mysterious black guy on a skateboard. And and basically goes on to lampoon uh, (laughs) the depiction of black characters uh, in Marvel at the time. So, yeah, it it is a thing of like... Yeah, I I feel like we had this discussion previously about representation where it's like, is that version of Luke Cage better than what Luke Cage had gotten previously? Like, I would say yes. Is Brian Michael Bendis, the white Jew, the best person (laughs) to have like brought that vision of Luke Cage to us? Probably not. Does that mean he shouldn't have done it? That's the question, I feel like, because it's like, is it better for him to have, like, put Luke Cage in a comic book versus Luke Cage not being in a comic at all? And, like, he became quite a popular character. Like, the the only reason that Luke Cage got, like, a Netflix show is because Brian Michael Bendis, like, updated him and put him in Daredevil and put him in Alias and put him in The Avengers. Like, that's why he got a Daredevil show or a, a Netflix show. That's, like, why... He has the sort of like name recognition and clout that when they're looking at like properties to adapt, they're like, oh, yeah, Luke Cage seems like a viable one in the same way that like the Brubaker fraction run is the reason that Iron Fist got a show like it just wouldn't have happened without, you know, prominent <laughs> creators re reimagining and revamping and modernizing these characters to make them, you know, updated and and modernized sure and well don't worry we'll get into the racial politics <laughs> of Fist. um but yeah i get i guess like the counterpoint is to that is like brian michael bendis as like the man at marvel should be using his platform to like elevate and amplify other like creators of color and let them like have their takes on this character but then like i think you do kind of end up with that thing of like should there be no white characters or like, should there like, if, if it's a white creator, should there only be white characters? That's clearly not, I don't think like the optimal solution to this situation, but. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting as well. Again, I'm struggling to remember whether it's Dwayne McDuffie or Christopher priest because they are uh, unfortunately two of the only like major kind of historically that's not that's not fair to say they're two very high profile modern era black creators who have you know a lot of times had to like speak on behalf of black creators because they're the only black creators who really like have a voice right and i recall one of them at one point basically being 
like he was starting a new series and someone was like, what drew you to this series? And he was like, well, I was just kind of tired of being like the guy who writes the black characters. I think right. it was when Christopher Priest took over Deathstroke that he he was like, I did Black Panther. I had a great time. I don't want to be the black guy who writes the black characters. So I'm right. writing a different book. And so it's like, that's like a perfectly fair, you know, stance to have as well that like, I don't want to be creatively shackled to be the guy who always has to write the book about the black character. I, you know, I want to be able to branch out and do other stuff as well. So, you know, there is that, that kind of like tension to navigate. Yeah. Like this, this (laughs) pitch from Dwayne McDuffie breaks down like (laughs) all of the things that you would say about both like Luke Cage and like static shock is less so the case because, he is like a milestone creation and was like created by, by black creators. And like he, he does have like, you know, he rides that, that, yeah, his electric disc. like that's, that's zapping thing. But, when he said skateboard based superpowers, <laughs> but yes, he identifies the popular elements as circa 1974 clothing and hairstyles, bizarre speech patterns unrecognizable by any member of any culture on the planet, a smart white friend to help them out of the trouble they get into. They're heroes who could be you, brackets, if you were black, I mean. <laughs> They're on skateboards, and they have an attractive white female friend to calm them down when they get too excited. Right. Yeah, but like, so like Luke Cage, you know, I think one of the reason it's, reasons it stands out is that his speech is like often written as though he has like an accent in the same way that like... Right like rogue or gambit would in like you know older x-men comics and i guess they still kind of do do that with those particular characters because it's like almost part of the history to some extent but it is just kind of like this picture of like the early aughts like quote-unquote black scent that right now is like certainly that is like one way in which some black people have expressed themselves and could be that Luke Cage like is one of those people and it makes sense (laughs) and is it a great look for the only like visible black character really in like any book (laughs) yeah it it just I guess it probably just feels like it's like this isn't really your call to make Brian Michael Bendis Anyways, and that th- this is all, of course, to say nothing of like the whole idea of like Asianness in this set of issues mm-hmm. that like ninjas and like honor are the yes. ways that I mean, like a lot of a lot of clamor for two white men to be leaders of this <laughs> ninja organization. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a whole thing. Is like that. The Asian woman who <laughs> has actually like done work for the organization is like mm. passed over for her big promotion. Now, <laughs> well, really actually, we'll, like, we'll talk about this at the end. But I have a lot of questions about why they think that Matt Murdock is the guy for the job. It's <laughs> a fair question. Um, but yeah, but yes, the, let's like, let's summarize these. <laughs> These here issues. I just the fact that like they're like hiring a new CEO and there's like <laughs> this female VP who has like really put in the work with this company and they're like, we're actually going for an outside hire on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh me. Um yes, so 
Lady Bullseye comes down. (laughs) (laughs) And she wants to mess up Matt Murdock's life. Is that correct? Yes. She has been tasked by the hand for putting Matt Murdock in a position where he would accept an offer to become the leader of the hand, which she is going to do by taking away all of the reasons that he might have to say no, i.e. his wife, um, his job, his secret identity, etc. And by creating a more welcoming atmosphere for him in the hands corporate culture by hiring a bunch of his friends, i.e., killing them and brainwashing them into being uh, handies. So what's the deal with that? Is this like something we already knew about? Not that I can recall the like, there's like a magic sword brainwashed now. Yeah. Not, not really that I can recall. There's like a lot of Electra dying and coming back to life as I alluded to previously. Oh yeah, the reason that they're looking for a new leader is that Electra was exposed as <laughs> <laughs> a scroll when she was killed and you have taken a screenshot of a page yes. which is such an insane collection of elements. <laughs> it is caption Japan months ago. <laughs> image a scroll wearing an electric <laughs> costume with a katana through her chest dialogue what the hell <laughs> panel two <laughs> who do we have here looks like jessica jones spider-man wolverine spider-woman dr strange luke cage and iron fist standing over this body and saying Electra's a scroll <laughs> and spider-man wearing a black costume yeah. also really made me laugh um and you did not capture it but like the next panel after that is like reverse shot a hand ninja like watching this scene unfold (laughs) from like a nearby rooftop without context the combination of the (laughs) japan months ago the image of dead electra scroll and the what the health dialogue box is like one of the funniest (laughs) combination of elements i can imagine (laughs) what the hell is very like you <laughs> bastards core for me it's like what the hell's going on <laughs> scroll. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah electra's a scroll so there's a vacancy uh as uh the hands thumb i guess <laughs> sure the palm <laughs> controls the fingers kind of i guess the ligament the tendon yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, yes, so there's an opening for the leader of the hand. This guy, what's his name? The like guy who's sort of running this operation. Not Master Ezo. No, no. Um, oh, oh, like the hand, the main like evil hand guy that we see. Right, the like hand lieutenant. Anyway, there's some hand lieutenant. I don't want to get his name wrong. Certainly, I would love for you to guess though. <laughs> Lord okay. Hirochi. Okay. <laughs> So there's this hand lieutenant, Lord Hirochi, who is sort of like running the operation. And I guess like, so what, what was, what's their real plan? (laughs) Because it feels like everyone is like being tricked. Yes. It's like no one knows fully what's going on, except I guess Master Izo. I guess. Yeah. So their, their real plan is that they feel like they need strong leadership. They want Daredevil to be the man for the job. 
And so they he just says, like, yeah, they're, says they're just no. like, he, he has the ability to like consolidate our like warring factions under him. He says, no, they're like, we'll ask Kingpin, but that's a trick right. to like get basically to like pressure daredevil. We're going to like right. leverage Kingpin's interest to get daredevil to, uh, to accept the offer it really is a business story. <laughs> it really, it really is. It's a corporate politics, uh, <laughs> drama. Uh, and so they first try to compel him by, as I say, like basically what they perceive as like removing obstacles and creating incentives for him to become the leader of the hand. He still says no. So then they like do their Hail Mary move of like getting Kingpin interested. Right. And so Lady Bullseye is there to just like mess with his life. So she does that. And then at the same time, and she, you know, kills and resurrects Black Tarantula and the White Tiger. So we haven't seen Black Tarantula since he was in jail, right? No. There, so there is, um, we aren't covering it because Brubaker didn't script them. Although I think he does have a plotting credit. But there is like an annual and a like Black Tarantula one shot that short sort of show like him being released from jail. He like goes to work for uh, Nelson Blake and Murdoch attorneys at law for a little while but is sort of like frustrated with the red tape of the legal system. So he like becomes a vigilante and daredevil like isn't fully approving, but they like have an adventure together. And at the end of the day, he's like, all right, keep out of trouble and, and like, don't do these certain things and you can be a vigilante that, that sort of lays the groundwork for him. And that's where we see him, when he is first sort of like attacked by hand ninjas, he's like working a construction job by day and like keeping these streets safe by night. These streets. They say these streets. I know I already talked about this last (laughs) time, but Matt Murdock says these streets so many times. City man run. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And then also at the same time, master Izo appears who is like, this (laughs) this <laughs> like a He's sort of the, old the Yoda to uh, sticks <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan. Sure, that makes sense. Um sort of he we, does have we that see... same sort of like demented humor that uh, that original trilogy Yoda is possessed yeah, of. He loves a pun. Um and then we sort of find out over time that it's like he trained Stick. He's like five hundred years old for some reason. Yes, he is. And of course, you know, so he's like Daredevil's grand sensei. Yeah, he and so he is like extremely powerful. Yeah, he's OP. Fly around, <laughs> Nerf Master Izo. He, he really I, is yeah. the Yoda. I think that's the best way to put it. it. It is, and I think that he's supposed to have a sort of like, um, like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, sort of like when they describe him going across the rooftops. Yes, I do I, picture him very much like, sort of like wire sailing across. He does, he does do like the like hands up wire sail right. and like the Iron kind Fist. of crane kick uh, pose. Yeah. And wire and Iron Fist directly says it is as if he is being pulled on wires. <laughs> to be like, I forgot about that. He interestingly jumps in the same way that I've seen in a movie once. So that's fun. I mean, like I, I think he's a really fun character. Um, as I said, he's a very you character in my mind, the like, sure, cat, demented old man, <laughs> demented old man who is like secretly very powerful. Um, and then we find out that he, of course, <laughs> of course, he founded the hand. Or no, no, he was, in, he was just he, in the hand. He was 
I think he was like an original hand disciple right. left when they were like, we decided we're going to be assassins uh, and criminals full time. <laughs> then he founded the chaste, but they weren't called that at the time. But then they were like, we think our thing is going to be being chased. <laughs> He's right. like, I'm not really into that. And they're right. like, okay, well, in that case, you can leave. Sure. And the other thing and is he's that- a free agent. <laughs> um, a great little set of sentence fragments on the Wikipedia pages. Um, <laughs> following the death of the hands founder, Kage Nobu Yoshioka, and its transformation from a samurai alliance into a ninja cult in service to a demon, <laughs> Izo chose to leave. <laughs> At this time, he put out his eyes. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that's one of his things, too. He's the first he's blind, blind guy with radar. He's the so. first daredevil guy. Yeah. Um, and so this is, is this the first time we see this character? Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> because he does feel very much, well, I guess not that crazy, but like he feels very, you know, like it is. Callbacky. Yeah. It's like, oh, we brought back like, you know, like from some hand comic or like some comic about mm-hmm. the hand or some like legend. Right. That like he's here now, yeah, or um, or like he got name dropped in like Deadly Hands of Kung Fu once or something like right, that. Right, yeah, exactly. He does he does feel like a similar sort of like deep pull, right? But yeah, he's fun, and then it, but then it turns out he, so he wants the hand to like reform, but not like yeah. reform, but get it better. <laughs> yeah, he's he thinks that the hand can be good. Right. And, and so Daredevil's he, the man for the job. Right. He wants Daredevil to become the leader of the hand in order to make them good again because he like secretly loves the hand. Um <laughs> not that then, secretly. <laughs> sure. But then also he trained Lady Bullseye. So again, this is like a twelfth hour reveal yeah. that I was like, well, when? But I guess like before she joined the hand, he trained her and maybe told her at one point that she was going to be Lady Hand. He is like, yeah, I guess like he basically tells her what his plan is, but replaces Matt Murdock with her. Right. I want to like fix the hand and it's going to be you. But it was actually Daredevil. But like replaces her for reason of she's you're too crazy. I guess so. But like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it is like a little confusing because I guess maybe it's supposed to be like a red herring fake where he talks like several times about like having someone inside the hand. And then there's the reveal that it's like it's black tarantula. But then it's maybe supposed to be like a double reveal that like it was black tarantula, but it was also uh, Lady Bullseye. Right. Sure. Um. Yeah, I guess, you know, like, it makes sense that he would, like, sort of respect Daredevil because they're both, you know, blind and have these special powers. Mm -hmm. Which he seems to have invented. Yeah, I will say the one thing that you don't see much of is, like, for all intents and purposes, he can see. And I know that, like, that is kind of... or Daredevil? Both of them. I know that is, like, kind of the idea of his power... But, like, it kind of takes away, and maybe this is, like, I, I feel like this is a common Daredevil criticism, maybe, that it's, like, his thing is, like, his whole thing is that he's blind, which is interesting because it presents this weakness, 
But then it's like his power gives him the ability of seeing. <laughs> his power is that actually <laughs> it doesn't give him a weakness. Right. Yeah, I feel like they have sort of like gotten at this in the past because like, for example, when he sues that newspaper for saying that he's Daredevil and wins, he's like, make the make my like settlement check out to this like blind charity or charity right. for the blind where he is yeah, sort of like, like mentions to it. Yeah, he has he has like a certain level of identification and like passion for definitely. Um and I think that he is like in a lot of ways I'm very fortunate because you know, I'm not I'm not blind in the same way that most people who are blind are blind. Right. But I I guess I'm thinking more in terms of like when he's like being Daredevil mm-hmm. like not in the sense that, like, the character is not, like, blind representation, but just that, like, his blindness never really comes into play most of the time. Like, mm-hmm. Well, he, there's a great bit from the Bendis run where after he's outed as being Daredevil, at one point he, like, stops a crime in a diner and then some guy in the diner is just like, hey, Daredevil, what color is my shirt? And then he's just sort of like, uh, gotta go. <laughs> and, like, runs away. <laughs> And in the there's like a little um, David Aha in issue 500 at the end of this. Did you read these the the bonus things? I only I I was reading uh, the omnibus, so I only had oh the like Matt Murdock or the uh, Ed Brubaker like written part. Okay, um, so there there's like in a preview of this like Dark Rain one shot, which shows Daredevil like being a businessman like a hand businessman, Mm -hmm. um, which is whatever. But then there's also, uh, on the occasion of Daredevil's landmark 500th issue, we're proud to welcome legendary DD writer Anne Nocenti and artist David Aha to our pages with this all-new story from Daredevil's past, which reminded me a lot of um, Parker, (laughs) because it's (laughs) Mm -hmm. set, it's set like at Coney Island, I think. And so it reminded me of like Slayground a little bit. Great. Um, Oh, yeah. And 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 this is much more recognizable, uh, David yeah, Aha compared to <laughs> that other issue. Definitely, yes. Um, oh, and it's Innocenti. Like, That's funny because they, I wonder if this is how they met because they have like a creator owned series together now. Oh, fun. But one of the things that like, the, it's like there's a lot of stuff about him being blind because it's like, there's like, it's like there was this cable that you could have grabbed. Like, why didn't you grab the cable? And he's being like, uh, you know, I thought it would break or whatever. He's like, that makes no sense. And then there's another part where it's like, this girl it's so it's like he's like holed up in this bar where like he's being helped by like an old guy and like a young girl um and then the girl's like he like i got these from him and there and it's like oh you think these are cards like these are photographs and it's like photographs of matt murdoch's like it's like there's a photo of jack murdoch and all this stuff but like i was like that's a really interesting way to use daredevil's blindness because it's like he knows that she's holding something but he doesn't really know what it is and can't see what it says and i just thought that was mm-hmm. like and like oh, you, yeah, never, you cool, never see like, that david aha is so good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was <laughs> seeing like, like a long sequence here where it's like he's got you know all of the panels as daredevil is like asking the girl to describe something to him and then underneath he's got like the ekg and like when she lies to him shows it like spiking yeah uh he's so good he's so smart should we should we do a david aha series 
the he's just done like a lot of one-offs he's a, a very slow artist um just like for a monthly schedule so he often does not have very long runs and is like on this sort of thing where it's like a special like six page story with David Aha or like one right. fill in issue from David Aha. Or, I guess we will basically cover the majority of his work. Like if if we were to do Matt Fraction, then uh, that would basically yeah. like <laughs> cover like his, his two big... some of his major stuff for sure, but certainly not not close to everything. But but yeah, he's uh, he's uh, good. We love him. I'm looking at his bibliography and. You know, maybe some of the... Oh, yeah, and then The Seeds. Then that yeah. was only two issues. What? Did it says not, one to four, no, but there's the more, series was there's... postponed indefinitely after book two. I think that means book two, like the second trade paperback, because I've definitely seen, like, trades of The Seeds. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, like, two of... I think his two major ongoing things i think were just those two yeah crazy he's good he's slow so he unfortunately can't really commit to a lot of like ongoing stuff but he's great we love him but uh but yes so the second half of this like kind of section is opens up with a great issue which is also yeah. by him um which is like a. Uh, like what Kingpin's been up to since uh, he got kicked out of America, which is lead a pleasant life until the hand freaking ruined it. Yeah, this is I mean, like this is a very obvious maybe like issue to write, but it mm-hmm. is like I, I think they execute it really well. Um, yes. Like he ends up on like the Spanish coast and like meets a woman the only <laughs> the only way this could be more the obvious issue to write is if the woman was blind <laughs> <laughs> i love that i love this huge panel that he has that shows kingpin holding this tiny umbrella which is hilarious he's turning in work on this issue and you're right like again this is this is kind of what sets brubaker apart in my mind is like there is so much of this issue that is just kind of like stock and trade or like almost pure trope. And yet he just like does it so well that like it's, he knows how to use the trope. So it's like, well, yeah, obviously the hand is going to come and like kill Kingpin's new like found family. And it's like, yeah, he doesn't think that you don't know that that's what's going to happen. The like trick of it is that like, he's going to make you care. Right that like when it happens it's not because you like didn't expect them to die it's because you're just like you don't want them to die by the time like the moment comes that they do have to die right um and and you know i think that there's a fun because so much of this uh little arc is and you know a lot of brubaker's run i think is sort of about like the the sort of two sides of the same coin kind of or like you know the similarities that daredevil and kingpin have with each other i don't think they're quite two sides of the same coin territory but mm-hmm. the big like theme of this issue which like you said like <laughs> this is just like a david aha like popping off thing like there's one where it's like his memory and it's like his face silhouetted with both the like daredevil radar oh, yeah, and the spider-man so, web yeah 
that's him like going through the portfolio and is like, uh, here's like a sample cover that I never used. <laughs> right. Would and this, also like bullseyes <laughs> inside Daredevil. Yeah. And and like the so it's <laughs> Kingpin's head. <laughs> Spider-Man is sitting in, in it. Yeah, in profile. Spider-Man is sitting in it with his web like stretching across everything. And then Daredevil is also there. Daredevil has like the radar rings coming out of his head, but then within Daredevil, the like bullseye <laughs> silhouettes are there and the like lines on his costume line up with the rings from Daredevil's like radar sense oh, as well. Wow. That's <laughs> not quite. Not quite. There's a couple there's a couple where they don't just because of like the proportions, but like one on his chest does, one on his belt does. He's just he's just very neatly like placed within yeah. there. And yeah, Daredevil Daredevil being pr- in shadow and then Bullseye in white being yeah. silhouetted in the black of Daredevil's body is crazy. Um, Even that that by itself like this, could be like an amazing cover. Yeah. And this like Daredevil image, I think, is also very like Mazzucchelli homage Like this looks like a reference to something out of like Born Again just the way that like the shadow is used with him. Yeah. Um, and of course, he's you know, lots it's of... like a black body with red outline. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's going off. I also love the scene when he like gets to the house and finds the, that like his new like family has been murdered where you've got like a very ominous, like kids shoe lying on the ground. Then you get a cocoon sound effect with lightning <laughs> going through it. Then you get the image of the like briefly illuminated house and there's just like a bunch of hand ninjas pulling out their swords. And then you get like great, great (laughs) use of paneling here. So it's one panel of Kingpin's (laughs) weeping eye, one panel of like the bridge of his nose where he's saying, yes, of course. And then a panel of his other eye. So it's like a split cross section of like just his eyes. And by the time you get, you get like, the moment of grief for what he's lost you get like the determination that like now i will of course kill you and then you have the dry eye on the other side where it's like kingpin's back baby like (laughs) you're in for it now and then like a double page spread of him wearing a sherpa coat and like (laughs) killing a bunch of ninjas yeah i do love i think strong kingpin you know we talked about like the power creep and Uh maybe that doesn't oh, always strong, been a thing strong with Kingpin, Kingpin right? is one of the best. I think that's a Frank Miller thing too, where it's like previously. Uh, actually, that might not be true. I I'll have to look into that maybe and, sure. and see because it is. I think for a while it was just like Kingpin's fat, um, right. but then at some point it might have even been in Spider-Man that like Spider-Man eventually like someone was like, Spider-Man's going to fight Kingpin and like punch him and like break his hand. Cause actually it's like muscle <laughs> right. somehow. Um, but then like in, in Miller's daredevil, it certainly is like a huge thing where like, especially born again, you see him like training in like uh, a loincloth and like fighting like eight people at once. Anytime daredevil is near him, he's like, Oh, like his heartbeat never accelerates. It just is like constantly steady, like hitting him is painful <laughs> because <laughs> he's like somehow made of muscle. He's like borderline superhuman strength. <laughs> right. It's just <laughs> Which, it's really strong. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I am curious now that you say that about who first was like Kingpin actually strong. Right. But yeah, like I was saying, like, I think 
one of the cool idea of this issue is that like much like Daredevil, like because Kingpin is this like super criminal that in the same way that a superhero cannot lead a normal life, a super criminal can also not live a normal life and the people they love are going to be targets for other villains and things like mm-hmm. that. I think that that's a fun idea um, that they hit upon in this issue. And then, yeah, so so basically she like kills the family and then is like Daredevil did this, but he is like too smart for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, okay, so they want me to fight Daredevil. So what? So that means that I have to team up with Daredevil, and Daredevil like agrees with this as well mm-hmm. because but then like he's also like, but like also I will now like be <laughs> king of the hand. Well, at the end, yes, because I think I think there's a part of him that is like. Daredevil didn't actually like do this, but this happened to me because of Daredevil. And like, this always happens to me because of Daredevil. And so like, I'm going to get revenge on the specific people who are actually responsible for this. But then also like, I'm not just going to like go home after that. Right. And also the other, the other thing that we have not mentioned at all up to this point (laughs) is that Matt Murdock and Dakota North, sleep together Mm -hmm. um which you know has its own repercussions with their relationship because you know even though (laughs) even though the comic has gone uh, painstakingly out of its way to remove his wife from the picture he is still married and then also this it comes back because the lawyer we sort of alluded to this briefly earlier that mila donovan's parents are like trying to the vow her Uh, (laughs) (laughs) of course and one of their weapons is like we have these photos of you sleeping with dakota north and they're hot you can't see them but the the (laughs) pi who took them certainly seems to think so (laughs) (laughs) yeah you should be like can i take a look at those (laughs) (laughs) smell my eyes Uh, doesn't really make sense no it doesn't um, really, does it? <laughs> some guy named the Owl gets involved. I got the impression. Oh, we've seen I, the Owl before. Have he's, we? Uh, he was in jail. Oh, sure. He's cold chilling in jail with them. Yeah, he's like a, uh, another sort of like B-level daredevil villain yeah, who I got the idea. is rarely the main villain in any given story, but <laughs> frequently right. features in roles like this where some other villain is like, Owl, keep him busy. <laughs> right. And so, yes. And so, wait. And so how does it come about that they want the so, kingpin to be the leader of the hand? Is it literally just like they meet? It What it is, is oh. Daredevil says no. So they're like, that's okay. We've got like more than one iron in the fire here. Here comes kingpin, the man with a lot of anger. And then kingpin is like, I'm going to find the leader of the hand. And then Lady Bullseye is like, I'm just going to meet with you and tell you what's going yeah. on. And she's like... Yeah, so he he like basically arranges to meet her by getting Owl to like tip his hand um, because he's like kill fucking Nelson. And she's like, obviously, this is something that Kingpin wants you to have me do and not something that you want me to do. So Kingpin, come here. And that's when she's like, we did it all as it was all in jest. We want you to be our leader. Right. Which all leads up to issue 500 the last issue of the Ed Brubaker run where we get that flashback that we talked about with uh, Master Ezo and basically everything 
sort of becomes revealed in the way that we have said it. Beats up a bunch of people. I think he like stabs a bunch of people. Yes, he he, he kill, fights. He, well, he fights Hirochi. the owl. Yes, so he fights the owl to rescue Dakota. Then he like crashes the the hand anointing ritual at which Kingpin has just killed uh, Hirochi, Lord Hirochi, and been like, "So what do I? I hear you've got a vacancy." <laughs> on your council here on account of I just killed one of the guys who was in these chairs what do I have to do to be king of the hand and then they're basically like wouldn't you like to know uh because daredevil arrives shortly thereafter and and has already decided that he will lead the hand as yes, like because Ms. master Izo has basically convinced him like it's already like cost you everything to be the hand's enemy you can at least like kind of try and make it worthwhile by turning the hand into something that is in some capacity. And also making Kingpin not the leader, which yeah, that's also important, but (laughs) that's a clutch move. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's a bluff, but it's also like, but if you had said no, like we would have made him the leader. Yeah. 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 Sure. So it's like only a bluff insofar as like the fact that we would do it, is like what makes it a bluff right you know what i mean like if they weren't actually going to do it then he wouldn't be like oh i can't let the kingpin become the the hand the hand pin sure anyway so it ends with him like going to complete these trials to become the leader of the hand um and very funnily ends with like this thing that's like I can't remember the last time I prayed, even Something though he did like two issues five, ago, <laughs> like five <laughs> issues ago when he goes to see Mila in the hospital. He's like, and then I prayed for the first time in a long time. Um, so very well, funny. Maybe he forgot about this. that. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I can't remember. And then, like I said, we end with this dark rain thing, which is like, oh, like, <laughs> Ed Brubaker's big run is over. Like a huge sea change has taken place. And now here's like, the fallout of this, which is obviously not going to be as good as the build-up to the thing happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, and then it great flows into Shadowland. Yeah. And then there's also like a Stan Lee or a Frank Miller uh, story yeah, in Yeah, I have seen that before. Is um, that a new story or just... I think it's a reprint. I'm going down to remind myself. Because it's with John Romita Jr., I believe. Uh, sure. And the two of them had collaborated previously on some Daredevil stuff. Yes, it is Daredevil issue one ninety one, Roulette. Oh, oh yeah, that is that is um, just him. I think in that case, that's funny. It looks like John Romita Jr. a lot, but you know, yes, I'm thinking that. But it's no, it's not. It's just Frank Miller penciling uh, and Terry Austin inking. But yes, that is a big issue from his run where bullseye is like in a hospital bed and daredevil basically like contemplates killing him uh, right and he then does russian roulette yeah but uh but yeah so very well received at the time if the multiple eisners didn't uh <laughs> didn't tip the hand as far as that goes um i was reading an article that came out like right kind of like in between these two runs i think probably from like the month after this where they did like the dark rain daredevil one shot thing and the 
writer was just like so like coming out of this so amped and was like like this could be like a defining moment for daredevil for like generations to come this is such like a bold new direction for the character right. it's like, a cool idea for sure it's a, it is a very cool idea and and basically like what a launch pad and then to know that like this is aborted within like a year and a half. <laughs> i was like but also there's no way that this can last like it is so it's interesting because I really thought it, it must have been an editorially mandated thing. I really thought that part of this was because he had like Brew Baker had already decided he was going to wrap up his run and they were like, great, we're going to get Andy Diggle to do it. And he basically like had the same conversation with Diggle that Bendis had with him to be like, what do you want me to like do anything fun? <laughs> basically, or like, do you, what what do you want me to like go out on? But then I was reading interviews with Andy Diggle from like right before his run started where he was basically like, it seems like it's a tradition for like the outgoing writer to really like give a challenge to the new writer. Right. (laughs) That I was like, okay, so maybe this was more like editorial was like, we want to do Shadowland. So Brubaker make Daredevil King of the Hand. And then like Andy Diggle, your run is going to start with Brubaker with uh, Daredevil as King of the Hand. Right. And then Shadowland is like Matt Murdock comes back to Hell's Kitchen, builds a magic, a mystic temple. Castle, yeah. There's like, a, he like builds a hand castle in Hell's Kitchen. He kills Bullseye. I've heard of a sand he castle, but a hand castle? turns into a literal devil. His right. horns it's, like grow out, which is revealed fun. that he is a demon. He's like possessed by the yeah. beast and then gets killed and born, born again. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Then he's in Daredevil Reborn, which is like a kind of fun mini series where he like goes on. A, it's it's almost like a Western. He like goes on a road trip kind of and then is like, there's trouble in this here town. And like, this looks like a job for Daredevil, but I'm not Daredevil anymore. And he's going by stick, which is fun. Sure. <laughs> um, and he like resolves the trouble in the town and then is like daredevil is still needed it's time for me to come back as daredevil it's like to get you from where shadowland ends to where he is when mark wade's run kicks off it is like you seem pretty chill about having been possessed by a demon right. and like breaking your cardinal rule about <laughs> never killing anybody um but it's like a it's an okay fun little story i I like it better than shadowland for sure uh and it's a fun little mini series great <laughs> <laughs> so awards i have you you've looked at these i assume i, I already talked about his 2007 and 2008 eisners and then he runs it back in 2010 he does indeed run it back in 2010 steals the crown once again as best writer for Captain America, Daredevil, The Marvel's Project, Criminal, and Incognito, many of which we will be talking about forthwith. Are we doing a Marvel's Project episode? No, I consider that to be Captain America adjacent enough that that I would lump it in with that. He wins uh, Best Single Issue this year as well, but for a Captain America story. (laughs) Sure. I think that's it for... Think that and he gets, is it. I think he gets nominated later. for something. He gets nominated for 
well, we, I won't spoil it. <laughs> but he gets nominated for something else. Um, well, so yeah, no spoilies. Yes, yes, that yes, yes. We'll do it for Daredevil. I I really enjoyed this. I, you know, I think <laughs> I was a little reticent maybe after X Men, <laughs> but you know, I think obviously this is far more in his wheelhouse. Like he gets to sort of do. He really does like a lot of different sort of pulp stories. Like, like I said, like he does a government conspiracy story. He does like a globe trotting adventure story, and then does like a bunch of crime stories, which obviously becomes like very much his trademark. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought it was very very good. Like yes, some of like there are moments, or maybe like more even more reflecting back. There are times when I was like. This starts to get a little bit weary because it is like diving so deep into his like madness or whatever. But by and large, I think the storylines are really strong. The overarching plotting is really strong, even if it sometimes lags a little bit. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to see why this is so beloved. Yep. I agree. In the same same vein that like Batman stories from like the early to mid 2010s started becoming very beloved in in similar ways. Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like I alluded to it slash it was uh, (laughs) palpable from the tone of the X-Men episodes, but it was (laughs) like, as I said, it made sense from kind of like what we wanted from this miniseries as a starting point, but it is a crazy kind of like spot to look at and be like, ah, yes, his like one big flop (laughs) from like the most successful period of his career in many respects uh is going to be where we start and i do think that this daredevil stuff is much more indicative of the quality of work that he was doing at this time and that so we can expect from him in the future and i think that there are a lot of reasons for that including general creative energy uh and genre interest and uh you know cast size being a bit more manageable even though as we have said at times machinations to bring certain members of the cast out might have been <laughs> notable sure but yeah great great run um a great you know entry into the the Daredevil pantheon a series which i think gets brought up often when people ask about these long running superhero comics and like underrated. Yeah. Like when, when people will ask about like what are kind of the most consistent of those, you know, those, those characters that have been running like forever or since like the Marvel's heyday, especially daredevil, you know, it's the early stuff is a little bit tough to get through, but once Miller comes on, it's like, you know, there there are peaks and valleys for sure, but there have not been very many bad runs on Daredevil since Miller came on the book. Uh, and there are not very many <laughs> titles that you can say that about for such a such a long sure, period of time. Definitely. And I do think that having having the sort of conjoined run of Bendis and Brubaker does a lot to like elevate the book in those conversations because between the two of them they really sustained close to 10 years of this being like a top shelf award-winning superhero book Um, right and you know i think that he does owe a debt to bendis in some respects but 
he wrote a run that like stands on its own and and is distinct uh, in as many ways as it is similar well said so yeah that will do it for uh our coverage of daredevil for now uh this is our longest episode in some time i think um I think right. so i hope you enjoyed some of that chat hopefully <laughs> some of it might have gotten cut and this is maybe more normal like the episode but we'll oh see. it's staying in baby so next week we'll be covering the first 14 issues of immortal iron fist so no talk about race on that one don't worry no that's a very <laughs> unproblematic title yeah. i find uh i'm sure so we will be doing that. Those I have read a long time ago, and so I'm excited to revisit those. Really like that character. Really like the vibe of that book. Thank you all for listening. Remember to rate, review, etc. Uh, tell a friend if you do enjoy. Um, you know, we've just been covering some X-Men comics and some Daredevil comics, so hopefully there's something worth recommending there. Uh, got the Runs Pod on Twitter. Got the runs pod at gmail.com. You can follow me at C House and Jane on Twitter. Listen to Bevy of Bevy's Fault Season Baby. Listen to High Floor Low Ceiling. You know, hockey and basketball are getting started. So lots of sports stuff going on. MLB playoffs. Ever heard of them? RIPJs, I think. Yeah, that was bad. Um, do you have any picks for the World Series? Do you want me to tell you who's still in it and you can pick one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the in the National League, the Phillies are facing the Braves and the Padres are facing the Dodgers. I will tell you the oh, Phillies are winning right now. In, Braves uh, play here. <laughs> Shout <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> the Phillies are up four runs right now in game one to tip when we recorded this. Uh-huh. Um, and then in the American League, you have the Mariners and Astros and the Guardians and Yankees. The Guardians, if you weren't aware, being the new Cleveland baseball team. The Mariners have just broken a like record playoff drought. Is that right? That's correct. And they have they have someone good. They have two Leo Rodriguez. Good, I think maybe. Are you, you might be thinking of the Padres, who have Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis, who is not playing, and Manny I Machado. I don't think so. I thought they had. Um, uh otani that's the angels they have otani uh, and they're and not trout. they're not in it eh? they're not in the play oh, <laughs> mike trout is still one of the guys who's considered good eh oh yeah definitely okay good to know well you know we love an underdog story we love a turnaround story so i'm gonna have to go mariners okay um shout out seattle a place i would like to visit absolutely me as well. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we were able to make this episode a little longer. Thank you all for listening. And until next week, to, to be, be continued. continued. <laughs>